Hi, I'm Jerry Moore. I'm uh, co-chair of the Programs Committee. I'm up here with uh, Tony Smaniato, who is also co-chair, and our chair, Margie Kukowski, is with JLL, is sitting here at the table. We'd like to welcome each of you today. We've got an outstanding crowd, um, and uh, we have an outstanding crowd, and I know you've got to be as excited about this program as I am, or you wouldn't all be here. I did want to mention to you today that this is an interactive uh, program. And so if you have not already taken out your mobile device and programmed in the web into your browser, coordinate.cnf.io, please do so. You will be able to answer questions, but also ask questions using your phone today. Uh, so um, one last thing, I'd like to recognize Morella where, oh, there she is. There she is, Morella Gabrowska with MGB um, Consulting um, for putting this program on today. Uh, so kudos to you. Thank you very much, Morella. Okay, turn it over to Tony. Thank you very much, Ann. I heard you talk earlier about our, um, our uh, food repacking. And I was, uh, those of you who know me know that I've been on the food depository various committees for 17 years. And... Uh, this uh, Cornet chapter, I understand, has sent 82 people with 246 men and women hours to repack 1,428 boxes of food, 18,000 cans of mixed fruit, and 596 cases of fresh pears, which is over 80,000 pounds of fresh, nutritious food that has been repacked from bulk to ready to eat. So outstanding job uh, by Kelly Hackett and Jessup French and others who put that together. Uh, uh, almost everybody here in this room attended our most recent commercial real estate awards where we raised over $1.1 million for hot, nutritious meals. And our Margie Kurkowski was chair of the event this year. I'd like to recognize her as well for an outstanding job. <laughs> and, and lastly, you know, none of, none of the food here goes to waste. We have a, a tie-in with Inspiration Cafe. So all the, uh, the delicious leftovers uh, go down the street to Inspiration Cafe where they feed about 900 people annually from, from our events. So uh, no food goes to waste around here. Um, I wanted to uh, thank you for coming. We have a large turnout, and we constantly work to bring uh, good programming. Excuse me, Barb, I think your idea about five minutes ago is going to work for June, so be ready. But uh, we have a great lineup today, and next month as well, we're going to have some interesting uh, panel on logistics. And we've got uh, Lewis Hornsby from uh, Easton Bell Sports who's going to be here talking uh, with Brendan Kelly and Carl Heitman from Heitman Architects, who just uh, designed and built a beautiful 800,000-foot uh, logistics warehouse and manufacturing facility down in Rantoul, which is a gateway to Champaign-Urbana. And uh, they reduced their footprint uh, at about 80%, increased efficiencies by scores, and it's a really great story, so hope you, hopefully you can come out. And by the way, um, one of Easton's uh, top brands is Riddell. Riddell's been around since like 1929. So uh, those of you who will be attending next month will have a chance at that lunch to win this uh, authentic Chicago Bears Revolution Speed Helmet, which is the real McCoy. Uh, someone in your household or in your friendship circle will love having this helmet. And uh, you need to attend to win it. So we hope to see you all out here. And uh, that's it for me. If you want to get 
Just a couple more notes. If you are uh, have your MCR in one and one hour credit, you can sign up out at the registration desk for that credit. Uh, the program will be podcast, so anybody who wants to review it can see it on our Cornet website. And there are surveys where on the chairs, so they may be on the tables now. Um, we really welcome your feedback. I'm particularly interested in your feedback on how you like the interactive system today. So if you'll uh, do us a favor and hand that in, that would be great. Uh, so with that, uh, let's get going with making workplace work. I'd like to call up our distinguished uh, panel. Uh, Doug Stanley with uh, Groupon. Debbie Fangman with GoGo, Shelby Kumar with Herman Miller, and Rich Ragner, our moderator today. Rich um, is a director of portfolio management and transactions with AT&T. He's been with AT&T for 30 years, which is amazing. Uh, but prior to this current role, Rich led the group that had client and workplace uh, strategies. So Rich has lived this topic day in and day out for a number of years. So I'm excited to have him on a moderator today. And um, with that, I'll turn it over to Rich. Thank you, Jerry. Oh. Okay. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you today uh, to serve as a moderator of this distinguished panel. I did want to send out a special thanks to Murella, my dance partner at Cornet Summits, for uh, asking me, or probably more appropriately, coercing me to become the moderator of the panel today. But really, seriously, I'm pleased to be here. As I was thinking about this subject, you know, making workplace work, um, I was reminded of a quote that Winston Churchill made several years ago, well, many years ago, where he said, we shape our buildings and thereafter they shape us. And, you know, with apologies to uh, Sir Winston, I'd like to modify that to say that we shape our workplaces and thereafter they shape us. So I think that's appropriate because done correctly, workplaces reflect and enhance a company's culture, enable effective performance, stimulate collaboration, and from my perspective, most importantly, create a sense of community among uh, coworkers. So done incorrectly, workplaces can become little more than a warehouse for furniture and uh, an ineffective expense on a, on a company's balance sheet. So as Jerry said, we have with us today three individuals who are gonna share their perspective of workplace. Doug Stanley is the director of global real estate and facilities for Groupon here in Chicago. We also have with us Shilpi Kumar from Herman Miller. Shilpi is a senior researcher in Herman Miller's insight and exploration team. And also with us is uh, Debbie Fangman with GoGo. And Debbie oversees all of GoGo's operations and projects within their facilities. So as, uh, as Tony and Jerry indicated, today we want today's panel discussion to be very interactive, and Cornet's gone high tech. And so what we've created is um, a way for us, for you to use your smartphone or other uh, Wi-Fi or cellular device to answer about 10 questions 
that the panel will use uh, when we have our discussion. You also have the ability to ask questions via your device. Uh, Beth, a little help, please. So you can simply test, you know, text those in through your smartphone, and Tony, Tony will field your questions, relate them to me for panelist discussion. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you, Beth. Sure, Rich. So the first question is, what is your profession? Um, interesting to see that. Is, has everybody an opportunity to vote? We'll give you a few minutes here. Heavily weighted toward architectures and architectural design, so interesting. Okay, any questions about how our smart device works and how this is going to work? Then we'll, we'll continue on and we'll get started. Doug is going to, the panelists are each going to present um, their perspectives on workplace, and then we'll uh, have a discussion about a number of items. So please let us know what's on your mind. Doug? All right. Take it away. Thanks, Rich. <laughs> Hi. So glad to be here. Thanks to, um, again, thanks to Morella and to Jerry for dragging me, uh, inviting me into, into, into this. Um, very persuasive. Um, so a little uh, quick recap just on who we are. If you, uh, for those that don't know, we started, Groupon started back in November 28, um, went public in 2011. Um, I joined just shortly before that. Uh, we are at the, the Old Montgomery Wards Catalog House on the, on the Chicago River, 600 West Chicago. So it is a uh, not, not far and very cool building. So we've, we've got all our locations, all our folks together now in one spot in, in that building. We operate around the world in all regions. We're in about 47 countries right now. And, the majority of those are uh, operational. They're providing support for local merchants, local markets. Um, in addition to that, we've got some locations that are uh, more focused on engineering. There's some fulfillment and warehouse space, and then a couple of data center locations. But we, um, <clears throat> so we ended being a, a, we just had our fifth year of birthday not that long ago. Um, had a party downtown, but we ended at 2013 at about 11,000 people slightly more than that, and then uh, about a million and a half square feet, everything around the world. So we are um, primarily open benching. For those who have been in or seen the videos online, that's, that's probably, we started that way. Everybody was uh, at the open benching uh, from the very beginning. So in, in some cases, it's a lot easier, right, when you're doing that in typical startup mode. Um, the, the culture, Drove, it was, that drove that from the top down. So the executives are at benches. Um, it, it really demanded it being a startup, right? So there's a lot of, there's not a lot of structure in place. There's not a lot of process. There are groups, there's so many people wearing so many different hats that it was just demanding that you, you do, there were no established formal departments, right? So it had to be very open, very collaborative. Um, so in, in a way, we benefit from that still, that we started out that way and we're not changing or trying to drive to that. Um, the other thing is it, it does for us is it's very flexible. Our churn rate is, is pretty crazy. Um, last year, we churned about 180% of our facility here in Chicago. So it's, uh, it's not unusual that the, the moves happen very quickly. Uh, people just get up, grab their stuff, go and plug in, and, and they're, that's it, they're done. 
Um, so it, that was another critical factor in, in how we designed the space was it had to be, right, it's got to be very open, got to be for communication, being able to talk back and forth and being close to one another, know what everybody's doing, uh, and it had to be very flexible. We, we, there's no way we could have uh, used more of, a, uh, more of a private or for us at that point, it, it make, using cubes, something like that didn't make sense. It was as open and easy and flexible as, you, as we could do. The, the economics, obviously, as a startup, is, is at the top of the list there, right? So we're looking for what we can do that's functional, but at the lowest cost that we can get it done for. Um, and then realizing, though, in that kind of environment, along with flexibility, you've got to have some, some other space. There's got to be space to go away from that. There's got to be something, some fun uh, features to it, which we've had all along more lately, right, as we've grown. Um, it's kind of changed and, and uh, we've put in more collaborative spaces, we put in more meeting spaces. So we've kind of learned from the, from the early days and it's kind of uh, given us even more, uh, more support really for, that, for the benching. All right, so the challenges, and we used yesterday's challenges, and this was uh, a couple years ago when we were a much younger company. Um, again, everything was very flat. Uh, and the churn, you know, so back then the growth was exponential, right? So the, the number of people joining, the number of changes happening, the number of reorgs was, was constant. So the focus was on three things, right? Back then it was speed, flexibility, and economics. Um, for us, back then when, when the company was started, the team's focus, the, the team's approach to programming was really pretty easy. It is maximize the capacity. How many people can we get in X amount of space, right? And that was... Uh, that was the programming. The results, right, so where we are today from that, it was very successful. So that we're continuing to drive this way with the open benching and we've, we've, we've learned some things. Recent challenges, um, as we, I don't wanna say the word mature, but as we get older, um, the organization becomes developing, so you start to have more established organizations, you have more departments. That drives some level, some increased levels, right? So instead of having one group that across all functions was just called finance, you may end up going to now you have a finance, a tax, an audit, an accounting department. Just that drives some additional levels which then drove us to, uh, there is some private offices. So we've got, it's still low, we're probably, I would guess we're probably still only one or 2%. Um, and what that's meant in some cases is that we're down that number of small conference rooms, because that's typically how we approached it. Um, the other thing that we're, that we're finding in the open benching now, a couple years later, is the, uh, the buzz, as you'll hear, um, the buzz works for, for Groupon, works for us. We love it in the sales groups, the marketing groups, that the ability for people to get together on the spur of the moment and get up and interact is, uh, is great and a lot of the groups really depend on it. But then if you go back to you know, the last point, you get some of the more focused now departments that are not getting more established. So now you've got a legal department. So now you've got some other folks that need some head down quiet space. You've got an engineering group. So that's the challenge we're facing now is, is how do we meet the end user requirements uh, whereas maybe one size fits all across the board isn't necessarily the best for everybody. So that's kind of what we're working on now. So working on now, get it, got it. So again, it's it really is still the same. It's only a couple years later, so it's still just speed. How fast can we get things done? How fast can we support our role? We're a customer service group, so how fast can we support the end users, the uh, the, the business units themselves? Um, 
the culture is still, uh, that allows us, that, that we were able to leverage, I guess, the culture because we started this way. We started with the open benching, the very open, flexible uh, environment. So that, we, we use that to our advantage when planning new spaces, right? So this has just become the norm for us. And as you look around the world, all our spaces are, are typically designed this way. And just our overall need that we're still looking, I mean, we still need to stay very lean. Flexibility, so it's, again, we're looking now to create maybe a little change. So how do we have the fit outs that actually apply to each of the business units? Um, maybe a better fit for individual, for some of those head down users. Um, but we, we're doing this in mind that I can't create, uh, you, you can't go create something very specific for one department uh, because that's not very adaptable or not very flexible because in a month I'm going to have another group in there. So it's going to continue, it needs to be continue to be flexible. Um, the other thing we've, so as we, as we design the space and as we plan new spaces and we, as we adjust the Chicago space, what we've learned is the, as we find rooms or, or areas where we can get people away for some of that head down work, some of that quiet space, that drove us to increase local collaboration space within there, right? So that they, the end users, the different modes of work are, it's not just all one mode, so it's not just all heads down. They still require some of that open meeting space, some of the collaboration areas. So that's one thing that we've, we've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years really is designing that within those more quiet areas is give them also the heads down or the, the open get, get together space. Um, private offices, we're, uh, that's one thing we're looking at now. We, we, so there, while there's a need with the increased development of business units to have some private offices for legal, for HR, for some of the finance teams, what we also notice is that the overall culture uh, then brings those people out of those offices and brings them back together into the collaboration areas, brings them back into conference rooms. Um, so a lot of times those offices, the utilization isn't great. So it's there when I need it, but it's not like it's a full-time thing. So that's one of our challenges. One of the things we're working on now, whether that's a, some kind of a hybrid, uh, a, um, a shared office, um, that's what we're some of the things we're looking at now. Economics, so one of the things we're doing, another uh, initiative has been over uh, with uh, a lot of help from our friend Morella is looking at our portfolio globally, um, gathering up all the information around the world from different offices where we've been expanding over the last couple of years and putting in place metrics, actually driving down to see where, where we are uh, operationally and obviously economic, uh, what the space, how much space do we have, what's it costing. Um, and actually reporting. The procurement processes now, that's another initiative we're working on, is getting procurement processes in place for, for projects, for furniture, for everything that's facilities or real estate related. So that's another area of focus right now. These are representative examples. Uh, okay. So I took a couple shots. Um, I get a lot of pictures. So as I travel, I take shots. And then as people go uh, around the world and visit our offices, they take shots. And I thought this was interesting. Um, the shots that I collected, even in areas that are traditionally more private offices in areas of the world, um, it's still the, the group on culture, right? So that's what driven. So it's Europe. We've got some Asia, obviously Chicago. And that is 
California, which I think is a different country sometimes. Um, <laughs> but it, but it's, it's all some form, right? It's still all some form of open, whether it's benching or desking, whatever you want to call it, the interaction, the openness, um, and the churn is the same in all locations. So um, kind of an example of our different types of benching and how and we have standards, we have a corporate standards that um, a couple of folks in our, Dan put together, our architect, Dan Kreis, and our, um, one of our VPs in marketing put together, and we send that around to the world to use, but then they're left to kind of take that as a recommendation. It's not a strict, you will do this, right? Um, it's like, do what makes sense in your area, but you can use this, and it's amazing when you go and you visit how similar they end up looking, right? It's, again, it's, it's, back, it's tied to that culture that's supported from the top down. Uh, the next slide, collaboration spaces, a couple different ones. Most of these are Chicago. There's one in California again, um, and they vary. So it's going to be uh, the top left is, is just a private room in a facility in Palo Alto that's just where the group can get away from, again, the open benching. They can go. This is an engineering facility. So this particular collaboration space was kind of driven toward let's get in behind, behind walls and not have it out in the open. Uh, Chicago, we've got a reception area. Um, Dan and, and the team at Design Chicago, we have a huge, for those who have seen it, our, our reception area in Chicago and our, our main floor, has got a lot of seating to it, so it's, and it's used heavily during the day. It's used at lunchtime, and it's used throughout the day for meetings, so it's kind of doing double duties. It's, not a, it's a reception area that's typically always got somebody working in it, and it's set up that way. So you can go, we've got Wi-Fi obviously everywhere. But there's different modes, so there's high, there's high seatings as shown here, and this is by a coffee and beverage area. Then there's low seating that you can go and use, so it's, it's quite a mix. The, um, Doug, I was going to just ask, is, is this the tiki bar that's... That is, that is the famous tiki hut, yeah, this famous tiki bar. Um, and it's busy at lunchtime. Uh, at 5 o'clock, you may see a tray of jello shots rolled out across it. Um, <laughs> there's meetings that happen. This, so... And one of the things that, that Dan and the, and the team did is we have one floor that's, that's pretty large over in that building, and, and this serves multiple purposes, right? So one, it's this one of the open collaboration areas where in a floor that's got you know over a thousand people sitting on it. The other thing, that, and there's three of these zones on the floor. The other thing it does, it's it almost it's it's a wayfinding, right? When you get something that large. Um, most of our space is open, but there are cores throughout, but it gives you kind of a sense of wayfinding as well as collaboration and meeting. And then it's just, you know, during lunches and after hours, it's just a fun spot. And then the, um, the one on the lower right is, uh, that's another one that, we, that we're conscious of when we, when we do new facilities, is this is an engineering type space. So, and, and you may notice just the entire wall of idea paint, just the big, long whiteboard, right? High seating, low seating. This is up on an engineering floor, but and what you—it's tough to see. You, what you can't see actually is behind there is a lunchroom, and then adjacent to this is a very large enclosed private conference room that's got video conferencing set up. So it's everything, and then to the other side is where all the, the open benching is. So within very short, again, all local to that engineering group that wants the head down space. They've got the open collaboration. They've got a lunchroom, and they've got private conference room. So by doing all this, this has really helped support, again, the overall benching design. Thank you, Doug. That's it. Next is Debbie, who's going to talk to us about GoGo. 
uh, give you guys a little history. My name's Debbie Fangman. I joined GoGo in September 2011. They did not have a facilities manager prior to that. They always had someone like in accounting filling the role and trying to do her or his job as well. Um, GoGo is a global leader for in-flight entertainment and internet. So if you've flown um, Virgin Airlines or Delta recently and checked your Facebook or checked your email or did any work online, you used our service. Uh, we are on over 2,000 commercial airline right now, aircraft right now, and then 6,300 business aircraft. Our business aviation is based out of Broomfield, Colorado, and then our commercial aviation is based out of Itasca, Illinois. So we were started, the, the dream came about by Jimmy Ray, who's the founder of our company, and he was in a barbecue joint in Texas, and he drew, wrote on a, a napkin his concept of having telephone service while you're on a plane. And so that's how, the, how we started. And um, in 1996, I think, is when we finally got the authorization by FCC and FAA to begin um, to, to implement Jimmy Ray's dream. And so we are, we, in 2006, we opened the office in um, Itasca. In 2008, we launched on American, or on the um, commercial aircraft. We have 700 plus employees. Uh, that is around the world, because we are starting to uh, branch out internationally now. So we've got some salespeople spread throughout the, the world. Uh, Broomfield, as I said, is our business aviation. Uh, we have 250 people roughly out there. We have a, quite a few uh, employees, and we have a lot of contractors in our task operation. We have a very small office in Irvine, uh, 30 seats for aircraft engineers. And then, as I said, we have employees all over, all over the place. Um, our culture. So, so GoGo still thinks, in some ways, they still think that they're a small company. So as we've grown and grown and grown, they've had the, the growing pains. And so they have so many projects that they had to implement a way to, to come up, to, to manage the projects, still have open communication so that uh, things weren't happening in silos and the company wasn't operating and other, one group doesn't know what another group's doing. So they implemented the agile and lean ways. So customer, our customers are number one priority. Customers are you, you know, our customer, the customers who fly on planes, and then customers are the airlines as well, the, and the manufacturers of the business jets. So we want, part of our culture is we experiment. Our project teams make mistakes, and they, they keep trying to get the project right, so they're not afraid to make mistakes. They're not afraid of change. Um, we encourage direct communication, which when I started, everybody wanted their panels taken down. They wanted to be able to see each other. Um, talk, straight talk is one of our principles in our company. So everybody was very open to me when I started. They all told me exactly how I should have the office. So I, you know, I quickly learned that um, certain things were not working. And um, part, another part of our culture is they empower teams to get work done, which I am lucky. I have totally been empowered. My, my boss doesn't want anything to do with facilities, so he's just like, do it. I don't want the headache. Um, and then we are all about continuous improvement. We, there, are, there are so many things that when the company started as a startup, you just try to get things up and running. And now there's a lot of improvement happening on the, in the, on the backside in accounting and in finance and in HR. So there's lots of improvement taking place. Um, our style of work. Okay, so presently, we took space as is. So in Broomfield, they started out in a single-story building, and we have, we take, if it has workstations, 
That's the most economical thing, let's just take it. It's got workstations, they're already constructed, it's already cabled, there's private office furniture, so that is the, the, the concept that they had in Itasca, is let's just keep taking space. So as we kept hiring and hiring, they just kept take another floor, take another floor, take another floor. So we have some really large workstations in one of our spaces. Uh, we have 15 by eight workstations. Um, which I'm, I, when we start getting really full, I always threaten to put three people in those workstations because it's just, it's, it's a lot of empty, wasted space. It's not efficiently laid out. And as we continue to hire, then there's the, the what are we gonna do with all these people? Uh, we have a lot of conference rooms. We have a lot of meetings. Um, all of our private offices are used for meetings because we are out of, we don't have enough meeting space. So a lot of the VPs and directors that are in offices and senior executives use their offices for their meetings because we just, we don't have enough conference space. Um, and because we have almost no collaboration space, that's why the conference rooms are used so heavily because we don't have some place where employees can go over to the side and have a conversation that if, they, if we had some collaboration seating, soft seating, and tucked away in a corner, they could go there instead of reserving a conference room. Uh, we have limited number of project rooms. We have probably 26 project teams right now in the, in the um, Chicago office and 11 project teams in the Broomfield office. And they all want a dedicated project rooms with the painted writable walls and they, you know, they want, it's all about the projects. Right now what they do is um, with the, in the agile process, they have daily stand-up meetings, sometimes once a day, or if something comes up, sometimes there'll be six stand-up meetings. Well, so they're using the hallways. They roll their whiteboard over and stand in the hallway. You can't get through. You have to try to walk around um, because they want it. They they want they need space. They need space to do it. And right now, the way the floor plan is, it it doesn't work well. So, our future look. We're pretty fortunate. We I am in the process. May first, we'll start construction for our business aviation office in Broomfield to have a brand new office. It's 111,000 square feet. And then on September 1st, we will start construction in Chicago at 111 North Canal for our new um, commercial aviation office and headquarters. So we hired Nelson Architects and we started programming not, I don't know even know how long ago it was. It seems like it's been going on forever. But we started programming and um, I would sit we had a lot of meetings and we'd, we'd, we'd schedule these interviews and Nelson was interviewing people and I'm interviewing people, but I strategically would sit on the floors with groups and listen and they all knew who I was, so they would you know, give me their comments and stuff, but I'd listen and I'd watch and see how they work and how they deal with the obstacles that are in our, in our current space. Um, and then I asked a lot of questions. We have a lot of lab space that I did not understand when I started. So I have really, really um, tried to absorb all that information on what's best for our lab space, how we can change it and make it so much better because right now, with the way uh, in Itasca, you, they just kept taking another conference room and create a lab, and they put ladder racking, and there's cables everywhere, and all of a sudden it's just a mess. And then they take another room, and then they take it, and that's what I'm dealing with right now, is they just keep taking more and more space for lab space. Um, so, the future look, we're very fortunate because we're working with Nelson, designing a great space. We want really high impact areas because we bring a lot of customers into our space. We want it to look like GoGo in about six to nine months before I started, um, GoGo 
tried their first stab at making space look like go-go. And so they took some space, some additional space in the building we're in now, and um, they, they designed it. Uh, one of the creative directors was really involved, and they installed these six by seven workstations, and they put this workbench seating in place. They had no idea who was gonna sit in the space. There was this huge fight internally of who's gonna use that space. We don't wanna to go to six by seven workstations. Why is there workbench seating? You know, who's gonna use this? Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so I start and I get this earful of we can't sit in these benches, we can't sit in these seats, uh, it hurts our back, we can't move, there's no leg room. Um, just lots of feedback, lots of feedback. And then we were hiring so many people that I started just throwing consultants at the workbenches. So one, one gentleman from Arkansas came in. He was an, he's an aircraft engineer. He had four boxes of junk, just paper and stuff. And he piled it all up on this workbench area. And so they have all their computer equipment. They're sitting there. And I get this phone call. And it's from one of the guys in creative. And he said, we have a slight problem. Um, our space is junked up now. It's not clean and neat and it doesn't look polished anymore. You know, because it did before. It looked, it had our colors, it was beautiful. So they can't, they can't grasp that concept. And the whole mixing of departments, they have a, they sometimes have a hard time, the mixing of departments. So in the new space, we're trying to offer, um, a solution across the board, like our, our six by eight workstations, we've lowered the panel heights because that was one of the biggest complaints is they wanted collaboration and they wanted, during the day, they wanted to be able to see each other, they wanted to talk to each other. Um, so we have, a, we're gonna implement a, a variety of collaboration spaces, high seating, low seating, soft seating, um, all throughout the space. Uh, we have dedicated project team spaces, not all in project, enclosed project rooms. We have some in open areas. We're gonna have every wall writable that we possibly can because that's the, that's the thing that drives me insane is when you walk into our space now, there's all these white, inexpensive whiteboards hung everywhere. And they're the kind that don't come clean and when you erase them. And so that's what our space looks like. So to get it cleaned up a little bit more and to provide everybody space, like let's say they sit and have a quick conversation, everybody loves to write. They like to visually see their concept and try to talk through it. So, we're, so one of the requests was they wanted writable walls. Um, we're gonna have destination locations. Uh, as Richard said, it promotes the community. Some of our departments at all hands meetings is, is maybe one of the few times that everybody intermingles. So now we're gonna try to bring everybody together in one designated cafe. We're gonna have an employee lounge on the 16th floor at 111 North Canal that um, opens up into a rooftop terrace. So we're gonna try to have more spaces so employees can, can mix together and um, plus get out of their seats move around more than they do now. We have a lot of employees that sit, sit, sit all day long. So we're trying to give them um, reasons to get up and move around a lot more. Uh, we are gonna provide phone rooms. One of the concerns uh, that employees had is if you're gonna drop my panel height down, where do I go if I have a conference call? Where do I go if I need a quick one-on-one -on -one discussion with an employee of mine? So we're, we're gonna provide these small rooms that you can fit two people in um, that you don't have to reserve, that you can duck into um, for phone calls, um, for a quick conversation that needs to be more uh, private. And then we have a very diverse uh, group of employees. We're, we 
I have had a lot of requests for additional quiet rooms, which the majority of our staff use for prayer rooms. We have some that others are using for meditation and other reasons. So we are going to provide multiple prayer rooms or quiet rooms throughout the space in both offices, because right now, even in Broomfield, they don't have it right now. So, so we're, we're trying to provide a lot more flexibility and draw. That's part of drawing additional talent and different talent and, and um, more talent into our space, into our company. Uh, right now, we are planning 170 um, square feet per person, but a lot of that has to do with we have so much common area now, or we will in the future, and then we have a lot of lab space. Uh, we have assigned seats. It is not an open seating. They, 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 the executives don't want that. The employees don't want that. So we have a, we'll, we'll have workstations, assigned seating. We have private offices for director and above. And, um, and then the biggest thing that... Um, that everybody at this point now in the company feels that we need is branding. They want, they want to feel, they, they're proud about who they work for. So they really want the place to look like GoGo. They, and they want when people walk in, when a guest walks in, a family member walks in, when a vendor walks in or a client walks in, they want them to know that they just walked into GoGo. So we, we definitely have a specific look and feel. Um, Broomfield is a little bit more polished than our office, so it will look a little different, a lot more glass, and uh, probably not as much branding on the glass as like what we're going to do in the Chicago office. But um, they, that is key. Uh, that message came across loud and clear that they want they want everybody to know when you walk in that that is is go is go go. Well, thank you. I thank you, Debbie. Thanks. Our third speaker is uh, Shilpi, and she's going to provide a little bit of a different perspective. Rather than talking about Herman Miller's workplace, she'll be talking about her research about workplace. Well, Shilpi. I feel like I can make this very short because GoGo combined with Groupon has uh, described all the modes of work that I'll be sharing in my research. So, you know, talking about stand-up meetings, which in our terminology we call it a huddle, or, you know, a, a contemplate, right, a place to go to, uh, to have a quiet time and a creative time. So I feel like combined, if I, I was sitting and making a list of all the, all the behaviors they're talking about, I could, I could say that it covers all the ten modes of work, which I'll talk about a little bit. But just before I start, I'll give a brief uh, uh, background of Herman Miller. Uh, a lot of you probably know Herman Miller, but it's basically our, our you know, beliefs is to inspire uh, design that helps people and organizations to, to do great things. And um, we are um, over 140 countries and um, seven continents. So, um, and we are over like 6,000 employees and we're based out of Michigan, uh, Holland, Michigan. Um, and I am based out of Chicago, so we have a lot of um, remote uh, people all around um, different parts of the U.S. Uh, just to talk a little bit about the insight and exploration, and I think insight and exploration reflects kind of what we do. Uh, we, uh, one of the biggest role we have is we support R&D, so we support um, new product development um, con continuously. So we try to apply uh, research and what we learn from, from users uh, and try to say, so what can, how can we look at spaces differently? How can we rethink of how our products need to perform to, to its full potential? Um, and then uh, we also help develop point of views. So we have uh, 
different uh, topics on healthcare or aging population. And there are several other themes that we work on where we actually develop point of views uh, based on the knowledge that, uh, from our experts, internal and external. And then uh, we, uh, part of the work is around current behaviors, but then there's a lot of work and emphasis on future. So we just completed the scenarios for this round, scenarios for 2018, Future of Work, which is uh, the third time we've actually done scenario planning. And it's kind of a long, rigorous process. It's a one-year process, which helps us really think about, okay, in the future, if uh, these are gonna be the cha changes in behaviors and this is how organizations are gonna work, how can we take all this knowledge and be prepared and make changes today and make decisions today based on that information? Um, and then uh, we have uh, our vertical markets that I, we support, so a workplace, healthcare, higher education, and future technology. Um, and so just getting into my research a little bit, you know, we know that the nature of work is changing. It's very evident from the examples uh, we heard about just now. Um, and it's very important to understand how these changes are affecting um, people and their environments. So our you know, there, there are needs that are way tangible, there are needs that are intangible, right? There are t needs of, okay, are we supporting the activities and behaviors or are we supporting how I wanna feel as an employee? Do I wanna feel, uh, you know, creative or do I wanna just focus and just concentrate, right? So it's supporting not just the tangibles, but the intangibles as, as well. So, you know, we, we, out of a lot of the research we're seeing, we're, that work is no longer a place we go to, it's a thing we do. Um, so one of the research that, um, that I started with, actually, uh, it's a 2011 thing, I guess. I started at Herman Miller in, to, in November 2011 as well. Um, and uh, the first challenge I had is I was hearing this, we were hearing this buzz about collaboration, and I was like, what does it even mean? You know, I'm not, I'm not a furniture person, or I'm not, you know, but I think uh, there was a whole buzz about collaboration. And uh, so I, it was an advantage to me as a researcher where I was like, I don't know anything about it. So uh, what, what we started formulating is what's the purpose? What makes a collaboration successful? How does it lead to a business value, right? So we talked about, we, we looked, when we created the design of the research, we started looking at the purpose, and then how to meet that purpose, how, what are the activities that we do, what are the kind of behaviors that lead up to that purpose, um, and try to understand that where does it start, where does it end, where does it happen, those kind of questions. And we deployed a mobile research uh, uh, study where we actually went to the end users, when I say end users, it's the worker, right? So we went to the workers and asked them to capture images and said, whenever you engage with somebody else, take a picture. Take a picture, tell me what you're doing, uh, tell me how many people, what activities, and also tell me how your, that experience could be improved. And within uh, a period of one month, we had 800 images. Um, throughout uh, different companies that we recorded these people. Or we also did ethnographic interviews with them to guide them, as, for them to guide us through those, you know, stories of what they were doing uh, day in a life of. And uh, that led us to cluster and cluster those 800 images into 35 types of things. Catch up, touch base, I am just, uh, you know, Monday morning catch up. So there were so many kind of verbiage that we were hearing um, you know, the stand-up meeting, a review and feedback, and all those kind of things. We wanted to make sure that we 
what, one of the things we found also in our initial visits to these uh, customers were that there's a disconnect between decision making and how what actually end users are doing. And there's a, there's a level of frustration where they don't understand enough to make decisions that are appropriate to what kind of settings, what kind of spaces they need. Because there, was a lot, there, was, there were a lot of cases where spaces were designed, a lot of money was put in, but they weren't being used. So um, that was my biggest, uh, I guess, frame of mind, is how can we bridge that gap uh, within trying to define just really understanding what the users are doing. And we actually um, uh, landed up with 10 modes of work and seven being collaborative and three being focused, you know, kind of alone modes of work. And I can go into detail, but for this purpose, I'll just leave it to that. And th saying that a lot of the, what Groupon and GoGo described is all captured in some of those. But what it, it did is it became an empathy tool to really help people make decisions, right? Of what kind, what's, what's being supported today, what's not being supported, versus what are the behaviors that we want to support and what are the new behaviors that we want to create and influence within the company. Like you said, that um, seeing each other or being able to talk straight, right? How can we do that and be more intentional about doing that? So it really, basically, it's a need assessment that you can do with this tool. The other project I want to just mention before we get into the further discussion was I talked about the tangibles and the intangibles, and we talked about modes of work being activity-driven. Um, this is another study we did. Uh, it was a global study with, uh, you know, uh, we did a quantitative survey, and we also deployed uh, uh, ethnographic approach towards interviews and things. And what we understood, we thought, we went in with an assumption that uh, people will, so we wanted to ask them, what are the most ideal, important, preferred locations to conduct work, right? And we thought that would be activity driven. We thought that people will say that for this, I want to go here. And we were surprised because it wasn't that. For the same activity, depending on what kind of mindset you're in, you might prefer a different, different thing. And what, what ended up when we looked at all the images and the survey results, what we did, we, we clustered all the information into four mindsets or four intrinsic motivations that really help people understand where they want to go for that time. And, um, it, you know, and another surprise was we thought out of these four categories, we thought effectiveness and efficiency would be the first one, that I have all the things I need to get the work done. And that was the third thing rated in, in the survey that when we asked them. And the first most important for them was inspiration and stimulation. So how can I, what is that, what is that space that keeps me going? What is it that keeps me going? How can I think creatively and things like that? A connection and sense of belonging was the second important uh, thing that they uh, said. And when, when we think of connection and sense of belonging is how do I feel that I'm valued by the company or I'm, um, and I, I can go to the next slide where I explain more. Um, so when, when we, when we um, found inspiration and um, stimulation, it was more about being meaningful and engaging at work. And how they defined, the participants defined that was being refreshed, enriched, energized, feeling excited and inspired, having a distinct and unique sense experience, um, exposure to creative trigger. So uh, many of the things go, you know, Debbie mentioned about, you know, branding being really important or them recognizing that their space is unique in some way. So I think uh, this was just uh, one of the, the things that they were looking for. And then, you know, we put together some of the images of uh, 
like an ocean beach picture that they uploaded, right? And we, you know, so there was this whole notion of, you know, being energetic, you know, uh, in some way, or a view that allows their mind to wander, right? So they gave an ocean side view and explained what they were looking for in that, um, uh, in that view. Um, the next was uh, connection and belonging. It's you know about I, I feel pride in working with my company or uh, I feel valued, um, and so they defined it as feeling connectedness, you know, the alignment with personal values, self worth. So in the image you can see, and these are the images that participants submitted in, in the study. So this is a. a, a image submitted by a, uh, a participant who put a flag in a flower pot from her home. She brought it home and she said, uh, the fact that I can do that, I feel more sense of belonging and you know, uh, the, the fact that my personality as an individual is respected in the company. So expression of self-identity is really important. And uh, familiarity and ownership, you talked about wayfinding and signage, right? So the fact that I feel f familiar with the space um, uh, becomes really important. Um, the third one, the effectiveness and efficiency, was about striving for excellence and the fact that I have the tools and things that I need to get my work done. So access to tools, data, information, and people. So being seen and being able to see others in that sense. But a control to change and choose was really important. The fact that I can pull another chair if I want to and facilities don't come and get it and put it back <laughs> in their spot, right? So the whole notion... Sorry, Doug and Debbie. But you know, the whole notion that I, I need, you know, I, I need to be, have a control and I need to feel empowered, right? You mentioned that as one of the goals. Ease of use, navigation, retrieval, no distractions. The fact that I can control my environment, I can choose where I want to go, you know, those were, were some of the things. And then um, some of the things that could be done were actually supporting perceived privacy and quiet. So it's not always, when we found when, from our data, that it's not always what's, what's uh, private. It's about how I feel that it's private. So oftentimes we saw that when people were talking on the phone and they moved from a closed environment to an open, they were more worried about how other people will get, get distracted than them getting distracted themselves. Or, uh, so it was the perception of that I might be disturbing others rather than them disturbing others in actuality. So it's about the perception of privacy and the perception of being quiet, um, which was important. And health and well-being was really important throughout. So that's why we didn't give any percentage to it because it was just so important that every um, every uh, for every participant, there was something uh, which was related to uh, the feeling of well-being. So again, the feeling of well-being, it doesn't mean that you are healthy, but it's that I feel that I'm healthy was really important. So again, the perception part was really important from the body, mind, and spirit, uh, support, balance, harmony, emotional comfort, and safety. Um, customized comfort was a very big thing. So the fact that they can customize things to be able to feel comfortable. So like adjusting a chair, I mean, not necessarily they're adjusting the chair in the right way, but they feel comfortable because they're suddenly able to do it. Um, and then direct and indirect access to fresh air, nature. Again, you know, lighting and all those things. So it may not be an actual view for, to the window, but they feel light because there's more light in the space. Um, things like that. And exercise and movement. Movement was a big thing. And even increasingly, I'm seeing that having centralized garbage cans is a way to move people and increasingly some of the progressive companies that I've recently visited, 
they're doing that, and they're finding that it's one way. It's, it's frustrating for employees when that happens, but it's one way to get people to move around. Pe centralized garbage cans, centralized social connect zones, those kind of things are making people to move. So that's um, kind of it. Good. Thank you, Shilpi. So, okay. Uh, We've come to the point in our program where we want to uh, start with the survey questions with the audience to kind of drive some discussion on, on the part of the panel. So hopefully the technology is going to work. So please um, ready your, your smartphone devices and away we'll go. Okay? Hey, Rich. <clears throat> While you're getting ready there, we do have some audience general questions that have been oh, coming please, in. I wonder if our panel might want to just give a couple short answers. Um, I'm guessing this is probably directed um, to Debbie and Doug, but um, some people are curious about whether you've utilized city incentives in these recent, in particular, your move, Debbie. Um, I'm actually not not to comment on that. Okay, so Sorry. How, why don't we talk about how you uh, how you bring okay. technology okay. into your workplace Sweet. and how you go about shopping for new technology as you're building out space? Technology. Yeah. I think for us, it's, it's the technology that we're seeing now, right? So there's a, the obviously IT infrastructure, and, and for us, um, being e-commerce on the on the data center side. But for us, for my my team, the technology really that we're now more at ground level due to the workspace design is all is is driven by the uh, the interaction the buzz the noise the so if you talk about panels you talk about now groups looking for whether it's a white noise system or maybe it's a customer service group that needs to go to a headset right because that makes them more efficient their calls are it's a better quality call so it's more technology more at the at the desk level we're going to advance to the next question but i did want to follow up on the drivers for workplace. It's, it's interesting that Doug, both you and Debbie, your uh, maturity curve in terms of your, of your business, you started out with a workplace that was driven by one set of drivers, and now you've kind of changed. Could you comment on that? What changed, and what are the drivers for your workplace today? Well, culture is definitely a driver in our space and um, the use of the space, the, how we use the space. So having lab space, having collaboration space, because we are such a team environment, we have to, have, we have to be able to work as a team and communicate as a team. So if we had uh, walls between everybody or high panel cubes, that, that, the teams feel cut off that, that they can't collaborate any longer. I think for us, the drivers, um, I don't know if they really changed. I think the, again, those back to speed, flexibility, and the economics, the original design that Dan and his team at Box put in place is we still have the same drivers, but I think the, uh, the just the evolution of the company has changed, right? So that's caused us to, to adapt with that, to take that to kind of like the next level, but it's still basically the same. Thank you. And, and Shilpi, I wanted to ask you that in your research, if, if um, if the respondents to your research, if they offered any insights as to what works well within the workplace to stimulate uh, collaboration among coworkers, 
Well, few, we just, Ellie and I were working on a project yesterday, and we just did the exercise of looking at past and future, like what has changed. Uh, one of the few of the things that come out is autonomy, the level of autonomy that people have and expect employees. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure that, I think you're looking for a younger generation, like yen, younger demographic at your companies, right? So I think there, that also says, and I remember uh, Doug's comment about uh, SF being a different country, Right, so I, I think that there's an increased uh, need for speed and change in communication, which is uh, also uh, empowering the users and making them more self, you know, feel of ownership uh, is, is really important so that they can feel like, you know, they belong. I, I think that's one of the biggest um, things. Thank you, thank you. Moving on to our second question. So what's the biggest challenge in implementing workplace change? And our audience says that getting users to adapt. It's, that's interesting. Um, I've got a little experience in this field, and uh, we always thought that if we were able to get leadership to step up to what we were trying to implement within uh, the workplace, that we would have it made, and that everybody would kind of fall in line, and everything would go smoothly, and nothing could be further from the truth. My experience is that middle management then became the roadblock. So I'm just curious uh, for our panelists, what do you see within your areas of responsibility as you know, kind of the biggest issue regarding implementing change? Uh, our, our users drive a lot of our change, so I would not say getting users um, to adapt to the change is, is our issue. Our, I honestly think gaining middle management support uh, is probably our biggest problem in, in both of our large offices. Because the executives are the ones who are driving, let's say relocating to downtown Chicago, the executives are driving it. So many employees are so excited about it, but there's this, this group of middle management that sometimes is wavering, they're not 100% on board, and so that's been um, a little bit of an obstacle. Same as my experience. Yep. Doug? It's probably the same. Well, our, our culture still supports, and, and we have the benefit of not having to change drastically. Um, as we grow and as the company evolves and, and those organizations build, it's probably that same level of management, the same middle management that may be coming in from other companies now coming into yeah. a benching environment from a more traditional either private office or even coming in just from cubes. Yeah. It's probably the same people. Thank you, Doug. Shilpi, any insight from you on this issue? You know, I talk about the stories that I'm hearing from the companies that I'm visiting continuously, and there's this, uh, the moment you create an open plan and you're creating an equilibrium, so you're giving same perks to suddenly the people who are getting more pampered, and then you're uplifting some of the perks that you were not giving to the, so it's suddenly an equilibrium, so I think that's what I'm hearing too, that the middle management is that gets more diffi you know, difficult, and I'm seeing one of the solutions that people are coming up with, uh, finding advocates, and somebody who can live the example and tell you know, that this is the new way of working and be advocates for that and kind of drive some of the social norms that they are. So I think a lot of companies have these self-volunteered positions and people who are doing that. So that's something I'm seeing. Thank you. So what percent of your office employees have assigned seat arrangements? And our audience says that about 85% of their employees, which kind of validates what we've heard today from Debbie and Doug. Um, my, in my experience, we're trialing something a little bit different. So if one of the concepts that we're toying with is if 
If you think about you would size full-time office space the way that you size parking lots, and <laughs> I know that seems a little strange at first, but I think the general rule of thumb for parking is that you, you build to about 80%. So we're looking at that perhaps, you know, we'll actually build office space to about 80% of what the full-time office requirement is. The jury's still out on that. I can't tell you if it's going to be successful or not, but it's something that we're looking at. Any, uh, any comments that you'd care to add on full-time office occupants? Hmm? I think it depends on the group. It, with the open one, you know, the, our move to actually even increase the amount of collaboration space, a lot of people end up working from those areas. Um, and the people, that, again, they're coming in asking for, you know, private offices, the one or one or two percent now, we find them also working in those areas. So I'd also agree that the jury's probably out. I don't know how that would be to actually take that, uh, that fixed seat away yeah. from, from a particular number. It's a struggle, definitely. Okay, so what percentage of your office space is benching today? And I think our answers are still coming in. <laughs> what I'm curious about, because you do, you, Doug, in your experience, you know, benching has been very economical, way for a Groupon to grow, but, and you talked about the buzz that, that creates, and it seems like your organization feeds on the buzz, but there could be a negative side to that as well in terms of crosstalk and noise, general noise levels within the office. How do you address that issue? So that's one of the challenges we've got now in looking for, again, areas to where we can try to separate those groups. So if you've got an engineering group, obviously that's not the group you want sitting next to your sales floor. The buzz is great on the sales floor. Everybody feeds off of that, right? and it makes it very easy for them to work and, and team back and forth. Um, but you can't put an engineering group right in the middle of them, right? So if you, if you, it's just the adjacencies, I think, managing that. Debbie, is there anything you'd care to add to the the benching aspect. You know, I have had so many project managers in our office tell us that they want they want an employee to feel like they own their workstation and bring in their plants and their pictures and and this is their space and they want them to have that space too. So they may have meetings and go to collaboration spaces, et cetera, but they want them to have some place to go back to their their home. So we it's interesting. Overall, across the board, our GoGo is very much against workbench. Interesting. We we hear from Doug that churning is such a big thing. 180 percent. That's that's huge. That's crazy. And what we're seeing the, the some of the companies that have adopted free address, they're reducing churning cost because they're no yeah. more moving furniture. They're moving people. So and I think alone furniture cannot do it. It's technology, policies, mm -hmm. protocols of use. There's so many things that are continuously being used and needed um, to do that change. So I think right. it's a big change. Right. And then alter giving alternative platform for that community and sense of ownership right. is also an important thing. Well, time, time, has, time has flown by pretty quickly. There's a lot of questions coming we haven't addressed. Uh, it depends on you all. If you wouldn't mind taking five more minutes, we can try to pull some of your questions out. Otherwise, we can wrap. Let's do a few more questions. Okay. Well, Do you have some from the yeah, why don't I pull some up? Uh, just maybe while you're answering these, you can talk about uh, densities. Uh, people are asking a lot about densities. Sure. Um, Debbie indicated that their their planning density right now is 170 feet. Yeah, which is much more dense than it is now. We're over 200 square feet now in our current spaces. So. And Doug, I would suspect that your densities are 
pretty dense. We, 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 we target, we like 100 square feet, but you know, if you look portfolio wide across different types of space, yeah. you know, it's probably in that 130 range, I imagine. Okay. And just uh, from my experience, we, we set a goal every year as to how we want to hit those numbers for space that we churn within our portfolio, and this year we set that goal at about 150. So, oh, so here's uh, our density question. Tony, do you have anything else? Um, just, uh, just general questions about annual growth plans in general, and also uh, a lot of people, we're getting bumped here pretty hard about uh, were there any aha moments based on Shilpi's comments? Can be yes or no, I'm just curious. People are asking. I don't think so. I mean, it's kind of, I, I can see it, different groups, some of the stuff, some of the highlights that Shelby had, different groups uh, display some of the different, like accounting works differently than engineering, and so I, I, it's almost a different application per group. You have to make some exceptions per group. That's what I've yeah, experienced. Found the same, yeah, as the company started to get older and, and a little bit larger, more developed. I'm curious as to how all of you see the issue of uh, different generations within the workplace. And if, in your experience, you've seen that manifest itself in terms of Gen Y versus Gen X versus boomers, that they're looking for different amenities or different types of, of uh, office arrangements. Care to comment? You know, the initial reaction is, from, from me, uh, but yeah, there, there may be a correlation to private office uh, and age, right? Um, but our, so the, when I talk about the folks that are, that are asking for the private offices, we, we also have levels of, of management at director and vice president level that are at the benching. They're not at the, at the offices. So I think it's more functional versus, uh, it's more in the business, the business unit and the function itself rather than just demographic by age. Yeah, I don't think demographics drive too much, um, like how we're planning our new space. I think it's the, the groups and functions. If you reframe the question that you just said, I mean, I think uh, from some of the scenarios work that we did, we came out with what was called the diversity of thought. So instead of focusing on demography or generation, mm -hmm. I think it's the diversity of thought that we need to feed into and recognize that there are different people think differently, and we have to respect and acknowledge that through the spaces that we design. I think that's become more key to us. Okay. Tony, other questions? No, that's it. You can, your last two, we can wrap up. Okay. So do you provide collaborative space, and if so, what type? Um, you know, the work cafe, Interestingly, we don't provide collaborative space. Okay. Moving on to the next question then. And this, is, this is a question for the panel as well. I'm interested in what, what elements of your workspace have you provided that maybe were, maybe were underwhelmed and underwhelming in terms of being used by your workforces? So in other words, they didn't work so well? We have, um, in our current space, we have some soft seating in the break rooms that is almost never used. I think it was, if it was moved out of the break room and tucked in the corner of a work area, I think it would get used all, all the time. Okay. I think being in the middle of the break room, people don't want them to, you know, somebody going in and getting a cup of coffee or microwaving their fish. Somebody doesn't want to have a conversation next to that, so. <laughs> 
Well, I can speak a little bit through the mood, modes of work, and when I share this modes of work, it's not an aha moment because everybody knows that. It's obvious information. Just put into a framework that helps people to think more intentionally. But I think the, the aha moment happens when you think of the transitions between these modes and uh, be very conscious of saying that what are the desired behaviors that we want to trigger, right? So placing things based on how we think, like a chat, a casual serendipitous moment that can ha move into a converse, which is so if I bump into somebody in a corridor, but then I, I say, okay, maybe let's spend 15 minutes in front of the whiteboard you know, can I have find a place at that moment to have that conversation? So I think the key is the transition. Again, meeting rooms. So right before and after, half, half of the most sparking ideas happen before and after a meeting uh, space. A lot of the socialization, networking, all this happens. But are we designing spaces that kind of um, help, you know, support those kind of conversations just in time? So just-in-time interventions with the space and, and, and where we do that, I think that's, that's a critical thing that we found in our research. On that, uh, we're going to uh, close our program. You've been a wonderful audience. Thank you for your participation. Thanks to our panelists today. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate it. It's a testament to how great this panel was that you all stuck around. Thank you very much. Uh, stuck around. That's stuck around. Uh, don't forget, if you would hand me that, don't forget next month we have the Easton Bell Sports Panel. If you attend, you'll have a chance to win this helmet. Thanks for coming. Please fill out the surveys on the table. Uh, the story is you don't like to do it electronically, so please fill out those surveys. Thank you, everybody. See you next month.